Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. How is everyone today? Wonderful? Good? It's it's another beautiful sunshiny day. How about the weather lately? I know that that's usually one of those mundane topics that you bring up to avoid discussing other more serious matters in life, but the weather these past few days has been phenomenally gorgeous. The beautiful sunshine, being able to go out. I was able to take my dog for a walk yesterday in shorts and a t-shirt. It's November. And I'm not Ike. Ike will wear shorts and a t-shirt any weather, any day, any time. I am not Ike. So that it just, it's kind of mind-boggling. It was beautiful. What a blessing. What a blessing. I absolutely love this psalm, by the way. Um, it's, it's a very popular one. Uh, it was my great-grandmother's uh, favorite psalm. Um, so about a year ago, not quite, but about a year ago when she passed away, um, it was read at her funeral. Uh, it's, it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's also a camp song at the Christian camp I worked at for years and years and years. Uh, they have a song of this, so I have it memorized in that version. That's how I memorized this psalm, was the song. Uh, and I could do all the motions and all that good stuff. Um, I'm not going to. I'm going to spare you that one. <laughs> I'm all right with with foregoing that. How about that? (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd. I I like this translation, so it's why I put this one up. I lack nothing. Um, Some of the more old-timey wordings is like, I shall not want or I do not want. And I always thought when I was a little kid that it sounded like, why don't you want, like, I don't want God is what it sounded like to me. Now, in our more conversational version of English, it just means I don't need anything else because the Lord provides for me. But I didn't understand that when I heard the King Jamesy version as a little one. I always thought it sounded like the Lord is my shepherd, but I don't want him. And that always confused me. So I like this particular translation uh, because I lack nothing. There's nothing else I need because the Lord takes care of me. I, I have a question for you guys. Uh, what do you guys know about sheep? Anybody know anything about sheep? What do you know about sheep? They're a lot of work. They are a lot of work. I don't know this from experience, but I did read a book this week about sheep. (laughs) Victoria made a cute sheep. They taste good. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Have you guys ever had the, like, traditional kebab gyro kind of things where they've got a big old lamb's leg and it's rotisserie and they shave some off. That's a good sandwich right there. Anything else? They don't lie down until they're full. Huh, interesting. I didn't didn't read that one in that book, so I I didn't know that. They only lie down when... They, need, they do need a shepherd, definitely. Yes, domesticated sheep need a shepherd. Yes, that's true. 
That is true. It particularly happens with some of the young sheep, but it does happen. They're, they're a little bit like turtles. If they end up over on their side or their back, they can't get back up without help. Oh, boy. What's going on in the back? I hear a lot of laughing. I hear a lot of laughing. All right. They do, yes. So that was, that was part of an ancient kind of shepherding technique. There, there were these times where they would take sheep and they would put them in these like collective pens at night so that it would be easier to keep track of them and, and keep away predators and, and those sorts of things. Um, and when you'd go back to collect your sheep in the morning, they would recognize the shepherd by their voice, by their whistle, however it was that they called for their sheep. Uh, and the sheep would only follow their shepherd. Now, nowadays, it's, it's very different. You know, people use four-wheelers and border collies instead of, you know, whistling and using little pipes uh, and flutes and, you know, just using a couple of sticks. It's gotten much more complicated. The book I read um, was called Lessons from a Sheepdog. We have it in our church library, and it's a pretty neat book. It's about this guy, he was a missionary kid who was born in South Africa, ended up moving to Canada, and he started his own sheep farm. Uh, he wanted to get into cattle, but he didn't have enough money, so he started with sheep. And he picked up these sheep, but he didn't have a sheepdog. And he was looking, but he couldn't find a good purebred border collie in the area. And finally, there was this lady who was trying to get rid of her border collie. She picked him up because it was a beautiful little dog, um, but she couldn't control this animal. She was living out in the neighborhood, and she said that her dog would take off after kids and after bicycles and chase cars, and it ended up being that she just chained it to this little stake in the ground and left it out there neglected. And so the man, he comes and he picks up this dog uh, and says, I'll take this dog, but on like a trial basis. If this doesn't work out, I'm going to give you back the dog because... I don't want to take this dog seeing its potential and then feel like I have to put it down because it wasn't given a proper upbringing. So if it doesn't work out, I'm giving you back the dog and you have to euthanize it because you're the one who didn't take care of it. And she agreed to the arrangement and he took the sheepdog and he trained it to be a wonderful sheepdog. And the whole book is about the lessons that he learned from this dog and how he felt a connection between his relationship with the Lord and his relationship with the dog. So it's a really good read. I highly encourage it. And it's one of those books that you can read in an afternoon. I think it was like 76 pages or something. So I, I read it in, in a day. And you could too, because I'm very easily distracted. So, sheep. I wrote a, a list of traits about sheep based on what I learned from this book. The first one that I wrote is that they're weak. They're pretty mundane, grazing animals. They have a group mentality. They, they kind of stay in their flocks, though they are also prone to wandering. Um, the guy complained a couple of times about sheep also being prone to illness and parasites, which I didn't know, but I've never raised sheep. Um, they're susceptible to... Predators, uh, as someone in the back mentioned, they can fall over uh, and they wouldn't be able to get back up. 
And the other interesting thing is domesticated sheep don't shed their own fur. They need to be shorn. Otherwise, it gets like the sheep equivalent of dreadlocks, and it can cause all kinds of problems for the sheep. A domestic sheep without a shepherd is as good as dead. They'd wander off. They wouldn't be able to shed their wool. They would just have all sorts of different problems. So the first thing that we can draw from this, recognizing that we are the sheep in Psalm 23 and that the Lord is the shepherd, is that we are helpless without the Lord. Without someone guiding those sheep, without someone giving them direction, without someone taking care of them, the sheep are as good as dead. They'd be eaten by something, they'd get sick, they'd fall over and wouldn't be able to get back up. They'd get lost. They wouldn't be able to find food because that's another huge concern for sheep. And we'll get to that one later. But we are helpless without the Lord. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I don't recall who said it, but someone said that sheep only lay down when they're content. If that's the case, the Lord gives us that contentment. He gives us green pastures to go to. In the days when this psalm was written, in the summer months and the spring, uh, before harvest time, while the plants are still growing and whatnot, sheep would be allowed to graze in the areas just outside of the village, sort of the, the suburbs, I guess you could say. They were allowed to graze in the areas surrounding the village. But once it got closer to harvest time, obviously you don't want the sheep eating all of your crops. So you've got to find someplace else to have them. So then you would take them down into the valleys. But then as it starts to get cold, things dry up. Uh, and around harvest time or fall-ish, things start to dry up and there's a little bit less food. So then you would have to take the sheep up into the mountains and find the different pastures up in those areas. And that's where it got more difficult because then all of a sudden, okay, yes, you're still able to feed your sheep. But now there's different obstacles. You're further away from the city, which means there's bound to be more predators and things like that. Uh, there's going to be more thorns and thickets. It's going to be more problematic and more difficult. But the Lord, he provides those pastures. He takes us to those places, sometimes even when it's hard. We'll get to that soon. He leads me beside quiet waters. One of the things I learned in that book is that sheep get afraid of running water. So if you take them down to a stream and it's running too quickly, the noise and the movement can startle sheep. And so they don't like drinking from rapid moving bodies of water. So leading them beside still waters would give them a place where they would feel comfortable and safe to drink. He refreshes my soul. It's not just about taking care of our physical needs. The Lord provides for our spiritual needs as well. He guides me along, I didn't like this part in this translation, the right paths. If you remember uh, the verse earlier this morning, it was the path of righteousness. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the, well, this one says darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death through these dark, ominous, scary places, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. 
What's interesting here, and I didn't realize this connection until I'd read it the second or third time this week, is this sort of, it's not a juxtaposition, but something that might not seem apparent at first. First, we see that he's guiding us down the, the paths of righteousness, and that sounds like a good, happy, sunshine thing, right? But then the next thing it says is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that means that this path of righteousness goes straight through pshht, that valley. That means God is leading us through this dark and scary place. God took us through the valley of the shadow of death. That is in the middle of the path of righteousness. Sometimes I feel like we can miss that, and we feel like, oh, the path of righteousness, that's going to be all sunshine. It's going to be the yellow brick road, right? Everything's going to be fine and dandy. You know, I'm a good person, so nothing bad's going to happen. Woohoo. But that's not how it works. If you're following the Lord, at some point, you are going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But he'll guide you through it. And that's not the end result. It's there in the middle, and you've got to fight through it. You've got to fight for it. But he'll take you through it. So sometimes in the path of righteousness or in the right path, that's where the darkest valley is. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So I did a little bit of research into uh, ancient shepherding, not just reading that little book that I read, because that was written in the... He lived mostly through the 20th century. I think he died in 2001. Uh, so I think he was shepherding sometime in the, like, 40s? Might have been a little bit later than that. But trying to figure out what this rod and this staff was. Because I'd always pictured, like, one thing, you know, it being like a rod and a staff, but usually there were two of them. And so I was like, okay, so what's the difference between one and the other? So the rod was used for protection and correction. Um, the rod was for defending against different animals that could sometimes come up and try to eat the sheep. It would usually be some sort of like club-like thing. Sometimes there would be nails sticking out of it. Uh, it, it was a defense. Um, or if the sheep was doing something bad a little bit, you could kind of, you know, smack them on the butt and get them back in the right direction. It would also be used for uh, counting the sheep. Sometimes they would die one end of the rod. Uh, if you recall, there were a couple of times in scriptures where it would talk about things passing under the rod. It was a part of counting. Uh, so when you would dedicate your sheep, you would put the end of the rod in, you know, crushed berries or something. Uh, and every tenth sheep, you would mark it somewhere so that you would recognize, okay, that sheep is designated for the Lord, it's designated for sacrifice, it's designated for this, that, the other. So that's the rod. The staff, on the other hand, that's more of that like traditional shepherd's crook for, you know, reaching out to the sheep and kind of giving them a, a gentle nudge um, or for using it as a walking stick as support. What I found interesting is that they both brought comfort to the sheep. We need to take comfort in both guidance from the Lord 
the gentle nudge of the staff, but also in his discipline with the rod. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard the very well-known proverb, spare the rod, spoil the child. Sometimes, if, if we view God as our father and we are the child, well, sometimes that means we need the rod too. So we need to take comfort in both the Lord's gentle guidance and in his correction with the rod. I think I've told this a couple of times, but the first Bible verse that I memorized was Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now, there are various reasons why that was the first verse that I was uh, encouraged to memorize. Some of those I did not realize at the time. Mostly that I needed correction. But I thought it was great because I got to use the word stupid and I wasn't punished for it. So, <laughs> Here we see a little bit of a transfer. Now all of a sudden, we don't see the psalmist referring to themselves as a sheep anymore. Because sheep don't usually eat at tables. So there's a little bit of a switch here. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's kind of interesting when you think about an overflowing cup. We always think of it as this this good thing, and it is. It talks about how, you know, there's so much that the Lord is providing that there's surplus, that there's overflow. But if you also think about it, when you fill up your cup and it starts to pour over and you get some on your hands, it's kind of sticky, it gets kind of messy, and you got to clean it up, right? So what do we do with this overflow? Usually that's wasted. Usually. But if the Lord is giving us gifts and it's overflowing into our lives, instead of it being something wasted, that's an opportunity for us to give. So when the Lord blesses you with something, make sure you reach out and bless others as well. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of of the Lord forever. We see that there is this relationship. The Lord is our shepherd who guides us, who corrects us, who provides for us. And ultimately through that relationship, we're given the opportunity to have that relationship extend into eternity. Last point I have for you guys is that you are chosen and loved. The Lord chose you. That's what anointing is. You go back to verse 5. You anoint my head with oil. Being anointed was being chosen, being selected. One of the most famous stories of anointing is the anointing of David. 
And what's interesting about David is he was a shepherd at this point. Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. And God had told Samuel that he was going to, through him, select the next king for the nation of Israel. The current king was chosen by God, but he didn't follow the Lord's instructions. So God said, okay, you haven't been listening, so we're going to select somebody else now. This isn't an honor and blessing for you anymore. And he selected David. Well, Samuel was only told that he would know who it was when he saw it. He wasn't given the name of the individual. He said, you're going to go to this man. He's got a family. And you're going to have him pass all of his sons before you. And I will show you which one will be king. And naturally, in those days, honor would usually fall on the oldest. So uh, David's father brought out the oldest son. Nope. The next one. Nope. The next one. And on and on down the line. And he went through all the sons that he had with him. And Samuel said, it's not any of these. Do you have any more sons? And he said, oh, only the youngest. But he's out with the sheep. Being a shepherd wasn't necessarily some glorious task. It was, a pretty, it was a pretty common job. But it was something that was the responsibility of the youngest child. And once someone got a little bit older, they would be shuffled off and they would do something more important, something more skilled, something that you can't do at a younger age like that. Anybody who can keep up with sheep and keep them in a circle can be a shepherd more or less. There's more to it than that. Obviously, we discussed that. But it was good work. It was hard work. And the Lord ended up picking David, this lowly little boy, the youngest in his family. And the Lord picks each and every one of us. If we put our faith in him, we are anointed with his Holy Spirit. We are chosen. We are called. It says that those who he called, he also predestined. The Lord has a plan for each and every one of us. So long as we put our faith in him. He wants us to have that eternity with him. He wants us to be blessed in our relationship with him. That's why he guides us. That's why he shepherds us. You are loved and you are chosen. But in order for that to be fulfilled, that requires you putting your faith in him. If you are a sheep who doesn't listen to the shepherd, you're in trouble, right? A sheep doesn't do well versus a coyote or a wolf or a lion or a mountain lion or whatever. They don't have teeth, not sharp ones. They have teeth that are dangerous to grasp. I mean, we talked about how if they just fall over, a sheep is helpless. So are we without the Lord. He wants to be your shepherd. 
He wants to be in control of your life, but that means you need to surrender yourself to him. That means that you need to be willing to follow his orders. That means you need to be willing to go, even if it's a path that's filled with rocks and brambles. Sometimes that's just because he's leading you up to that next pasture. You might not know what's ahead, but you need to follow his guidance anyway. That's hard. That's part of being a sheep. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for guiding and shepherding us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be in your fold, to be in your flock, to be in your family. Lord, I pray that as a church family, you would bring us together, that you would bind us that we would be united. Lord, I pray that we would submit ourselves to you. That if there's anyone who isn't a member of your flock, that they would feel pulled to you. That they would recognize that you want to guide them, that you want to bring them into prosperity. That you want to bring them into joy. That you want to bring them into life everlasting. And it might be hard. It might be scary. There might be rules. Might have to walk through some dark valleys. But Lord, you are good. I pray that you would encourage our hearts to be drawn to you, to yearn for you, to want to grow with you. I thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, to be together. And I pray that you would lift us up with one accord. Your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.